0: Tonight I have a, a friend of mine, Mike Ritland's on. and We've had Mike on a couple of times. He's a busy guy, so I appreciate Mike uh, jumping on tonight and uh, spending some time with me. He's going to instruct here at Hits in Orlando. He'll be back doing his Troop Foundation class and um, another class. I think I'll let him you know, t- talk about the classes he's doing real quick. And I thought it'd be fun tonight, uh, instead of talking a whole bunch of dog training, which we've done with him several times, maybe just spend a little bit of time just talking about uh, Mike's background, kind of how he got to where he is and all the stuff he's got going on today. So, uh, hey, Mike, how are you doing tonight?
1: Good. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I appreciate
0: it. I, and I, I mentioned the True Foundation class. What's the title of the other class you're going to do at HITS this year? Oh, well, that, that's actually just the the, the, one. the only one I'll be doing. Okay. Well. I, for some reason, I was thinking there's two on there. But the True Foundation class, that basically came about from uh, just you looking at a dog's a little bit different than some people do so can you just kind of touch base on what that class is and and some of the information you're gonna sure
1: uh you know so i guess the the where the meat and potatoes stems from is is from the warrior dog foundation dogs you know over the last 12 years we've taken in uh right around 300 dogs and, and in each instance they're all dogs that would have been euthanized if we hadn't taken them in and as I'm sure most of the listeners, um, you know, can imagine that they've, they've come across those types of dogs sure. that were right on the edge of like, is this dog worth even having from a liability standpoint? You know, it's a bit several of the wrong people or people it wasn't supposed to. And, and it's just a real, real handful of a dog. And, and in a lot of instances, it, at least from our experience in, in getting a lot of these dogs in is that we find that um, you know, by looking at it more from a, a relationship and, and trust-based, uh, you know, principled approach to to getting to know the dog and getting them to trust you first, uh, you know, that, that we're able to alleviate and, and mitigate a lot of the, the issues that, that the dog has had. Not every one of them and, and sure. not every dog, but, uh, but in, in most cases and, and in a lot of instances, uh, you know, they, they've come a long way and and made a lot of progress and we've kind of uh, cleared their, their head a little bit and gotten them to where they're more manageable. uh, And in a lot of cases, even repurposable, uh, if if that's a word, uh, you know, where we can, we can get them out to other departments that maybe, uh, you know, have a little more flexibility timeline wise, or or maybe a little more experience uh, training and handling, uh, you know, dogs that are a little edgier and harder to deal with in, in that regard. And so, you know, in that kind of same vein as is, is where the True Foundations class comes from is 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 working with a lot of departments over the years uh, and seeing the the issues that, that many departments have and, and seeing the correlations and parallels between, you know, handlers that are really struggling with their dogs and seeing, you know, a lot of the same issues, uh, you know, all over the country. Uh, and then on the transverse, also seeing, you know, dogs that are... Uh, or dog teams rather that are firing on all cylinders and seeing the parallels of the the dog teams that are doing really really well and and uh, you know having yeah, a, a yeah. good relationship and all that and so um, what I wanted to do with the class is is to just uh, you know convey that you know just like with all your other relationships in life you know communication and and trust and and your relationship with that other individual uh is is everything you know and, and just like with what most of these guys do you know out out on the street at work you know your, your partner uh, or anybody that you work with whether it's a SWAT application or uh, just another another officer yeah. that shows up on a call or, or what have you is that uh, you've got to be able to trust that guy and know that they have your back and, and that you can count on them to do the things that you need to do and when, when the ship hits the fan and in a lot of cases you know where, where guys have trouble with their dogs um they they don't have that and and it's mostly the dog doesn't trust them because they've broken that trust through a lot of compulsion uh you know and and, uh, inconsistencies and and unrealistic expectations and shitty communication because they're looking at it from the human perspective uh, which is you know you're thinking in a a language you're using logic and reasoning to uh, to have expectations and understandings that the dog just does not have yeah, you know, and, and if you think about you know the the way that the dog's mind works versus ours, it's, it works more like a calculator, and that everything is an A plus B equals C, yeah, uh, formula uh, or, or equation,
0: yeah, one step process,
1: yeah, you know, so you know, whereas you and I would think like, you know, hey, that that's my sandwich on the counter, like why the fuck would you jump up there and, and grab it, you know, to the dog, it's there's food over there and, and I want to get it or, or it the not? trash, there's, yeah, yeah, there, there's chicken wings in it or. Like, of course, I'm going to piss on the floor or chew this up. Like, it doesn't mean anything yeah, to me. And, yeah. and so our, our social and societal expectations of of what's good and decent and expected behavior, those dogs, you know, that they don't come hardwired with that at all. And so when you expect them to just understand that and then hammer them when they don't, uh, you know, if you're selecting and, and, you know, trying to find a dog that has, you know, intestinal fortitude and, and a good set of nuts on them and a, and a strong spine, that dog's not going to take a lot of crap from, from you or from anybody. And so it's just a bad combination. And, uh, you know, again, I, I will be the first to admit that, you know, the, the first number of years that I was, uh, you know, involved in this as a profession, I had much more of kind of the, the big dick mentality of, you know, if this dog's is not going to do it, I'll, I'll show him he's yeah to do it, you know, kind of yeah. thing. And, learned the hard way through through a lot of dogs coming into the Warrior Dog Foundation and just other dogs that I worked with that that, that wasn't a uh you know a viable approach when when this dog has had that done to him by the last six human beings that he's interacting with. Yeah and and and, and now he, he doesn't trust anybody. He looks at everybody like they're they're a shot at the title and uh and you're not gonna make him do anything. Uh, you know and, and so it, it's kind of taken the same mentality that you would working with you know big dangerous zoo animals or or marine mammals that you know you're not going to make them do anything yeah. um, you know and, and and using those same training principles now that that does not mean that I'm I'm above or or think that that compulsion and punishment or consequence based training is is bad i i absolutely uh, employ and use those sure those techniques when when they make sense when they're appropriate and and what have you but but just like you know again any other relationship if if it starts out by whipping somebody's ass um you know that's setting the tone and foundation for a pretty pretty rough rough go at the relationship and so um you know just making sure that you understand that and, and me trying to pass on a lot of these hard lessons learned that i've gotten a lot of these dogs in that have had all of these i'll say wrong things done with them over a several year period and gotten them to the point where the the handler and, and department couldn't even keep the dog anymore and they're going to kill them yeah uh, you know because they they were so out of control and hard to deal with and, and so you know when we get and, and have you know 30 of those dogs at a time at any given time from all over the country uh, you you tend to learn uh, what not to do first, sure. Um, you know, but then you you ultimately end up, uh, you know, figuring out and and learning what actually works, you know. And and so it's it's been a really neat process to see the the transformation of a lot of these dogs coming in and, and using food and positive reinforcement, uh, you know, to to at least kind of hit the reset button and, and get to where the dog will trust you, and then building from there, and, and then ultimately getting to where the dog is much more manageable in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, being able to be repurposed to to another department or, yeah. or even to, you know, a, a family home or a civilian,
0: yeah. a civilian home out in town. But, yeah, yeah. I think the class is a, a great idea and I, I know, uh, you know, it'll have a lot of good information. So even if maybe you don't have that problem, dog, just getting a few tips here and there about even just re- every relationship can get better. So, you know, I think anybody who goes to the class will be able to take something away from it and definitely put more stuff in their toolbox in case they run into that problem with their own agency or maybe with another dog that they're trying to help with another agency. At least yeah. something to think about.
1: So. Well, yeah, and I, I think, you know, not even just on the kind of avoiding the worst case scenario, uh, I, I also think that, you know, if you use that as kind of your tactic and, and how you start things out, even if you don't have yeah. that kind of dog, you will maximize uh, the potential, you know, to operate at the I highest agree. level possible with, with that dog. So. I agree.
0: Well, I think for a lot of people, if they listen to our podcast a lot, that they know that usually I introduce somebody and then the first thing I do is have them kind of go over the background. But I thought we'd just uh, talk about the class here real quick for hits and then spend a little more time just talking about Mike Ritland, if the, if that's all right with you. Um, I know yeah. I know, a lot of people kind of know who you are, and I've, I've listened to different podcasts that you do, but you know, a lot of times you're doing the interviewing and uh, you know, a lot of people don't know your whole backstory. So um, if you're good for it, I'd rather just kind of spend a little time, just kind of talk about your backstory and then how you end up getting here. So if we can start out with, uh, I know you come from Iowa, uh, where in Iowa and, and what was growing up in Iowa like for you?
1: I guess looking back on it, I, I look back uh, with a sense of nostalgia and, and pretty fondly now, growing up there. And at the time uh, I, I didn't really feel that way or, <laughs> or that I thought I would feel that way. Uh, it, was, it was kind of boring. Um, but, you know, again, I, you know, when I think back to the experiences that I had as a kid and, and the environment that I grew up in, uh, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for having lived there and, and grown up there and being from there. Uh, it, was just a, it was a good mix of, of a lot of kind of good uh, principles that that I think a lot of places in this country lack and, uh, you know, again, was also it a not, big not town big, or
0: small town that you are in? Or Well, there's, there's really no such thing as a big town. In sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, Fair enough. Uh, you know, but, uh, it, I mean, it was, you know, imagine, you know, the suburbs of where you live uh, yeah. and, and that's about what it is about, you know, 70 or 80,000 yeah. people in, in a suburban type of, of environment. Um, you know and, and that was the gist of it you know yeah. the the capital city there's a few hundred thousand people it's about uh, 350 or four hundred thousand in yeah. the des moines area and everywhere else you know there's a handful of other uh cities that are that are yeah. you know between 50 and hundred thousand, uh, hundred thousand that are all kind of kind of similarly put together yeah. that way so um you know but you know four seasons and and uh, not overcrowded um, enough to do to not be completely bored out of your mind, but not so much to where it, it felt like you were in a city environment yeah. and, and didn't come from kind of a country rural environment. Yeah. So uh, just, just a nice mix and, and a good place to yeah. be from.
0: You have uh, brothers and sisters.
1: I do. I've got two older brothers and a younger sister. And you know, it's interesting, my mom and dad, that they went to the same high school and they're from that same town. And you know, they, they dated in high school and, yeah. and you know, got married and we, we all went to the same high school oh, that cool. they did and, uh, you know, most of our, our family, grandparents, whatever, all, all lived in town, aunts, uncles, whatever. So it was it was neat to grow up, uh, you know, kind of in, in a multi-generation city that way where, uh, where you had all that
0: history in, in yeah. one place. Yeah. Uh, were you an athlete in high school or what was your,
1: what was well, your... That, that's debatable. Uh, I played <laughs> sports, uh, you know, but, um, I, you know, I uh, growing up at, at younger ages, I, I did pretty much everything. I mean, football, basketball, baseball, ran track. Uh, we did not have a soccer team, but uh, pretty much everything else I, I did. And then when I was in high school, I focused uh, solely on swimming. And, uh, I, you know, I certainly was never a state champion or, or even on a podium, uh, but went to state and, and swam and, and it was just, uh, you know, m- maybe a little above average, but certainly not. Not anything that uh, the colleges were yeah. were screaming to to have me come to their to their school, but
0: were you a, a good student too?
1: I was a terrible student. Um, <laughs> I want to say my my GPA when I graduated was uh, maybe a two eight two seven something like that. It was uh, it was you know barely enough to pass, and that yeah. was about it. I actually uh, I applied to the University of Iowa. Um, you know Iowa has no no professional sports teams. And so, um, college football is kind of the main, yeah. you know, varsity yeah, sport in the state of Iowa, as well as university of Iowa wrestling, cause they've been so good for so long. But I, I applied to to the university of Iowa and, uh, and got turned down, if that tells you anything, <laughs> they did not accept me. So, so I went, went and joined the Navy, uh, not that I, I would have gone anyway, but I, I applied with just kind of seeing if that was an option and, and, uh, Ended up going in the navy, and, and again would would have anyway. But uh, but if if that doesn't paint a picture of my lackluster <laughs> sure. performance uh, as it relates to academics, I don't know what does.
0: At what age did you start thinking military? You know, at a young age, I, I was always fascinated by it. Both
1: my grandfathers were in World War II, and I I just was always kind of a student of history, specifically American World War II era history, and. And so it, it was something that I, I thought about and, and it resonated with me at, at a, you know, I'd say even seven, eight years old. But when I was a, a sophomore in high school, I read a popular mechanics article about the SEAL teams that that's what really piqued my interest and then watching the movie Navy SEALs and reading some uh, some books from some Vietnam era SEALs yeah. uh, about their experiences. And, and that war, um, you know, really solidified my desire to, to partake in, in that journey and so my uh, towards the end of my sophomore year and then all of my junior and senior year i, w- I was pretty singularly focused on both joining the navy and uh, trying to become
0: a seal and that was that part of the reason for the swim team and getting those no
1: I, so i, I just just actually started <laughs> yeah i start. i think it was actually more of a because i was a swimmer the Navy made more sense uh, yeah. or at least in both my mom's mind and in my mind, Yeah, uh, you know, you know, that did her, her dad uh, was in world war two uh, and was in the Navy uh, on a minesweeper in the Mediterranean. And, and that was kind of her, her pitch because my, uh, one of my best friends growing up, uh, he and I had, had kind of both decided we were going to join the army and become Rangers. And she was not, not real crazy about that. And yeah, gently uh, t- told me that if i was going to join the military it, it needed to be the navy because her dad did and, yeah. and that made more sense and uh, so but it yeah just kind of coincidentally worked out that way and that uh, you know i started competitively swimming when i was five um, oh, okay. and, and swam swam most of my childhood i took a, a couple year break in, in junior high but then back at it in high school so that that was kind of the the main sport that i was into anyway
0: so did that buddy that you're talking about did he end up going to the army he did. Uh, so he went into
1: the Army just uh, about six, eight months after I joined the Navy. Uh, he was in the second Ranger battalion for about six or seven years, did multiple Iraq and yeah. Afghanistan deployments, and then he actually went to, to Delta Force and made it through all the selection and, and was in a squadron and um, went on his first deployment as a CAG guy and lost his right leg in a, in a helo crash on a rooftop in Baghdad doing, during the High high value t- uh, wow. target assault got a, a massive head injury and, and really you know a, a sustained a, a number of, of pretty yeah. significant physical injuries. They kept him on and in the unit for a number of years doing some you know RDT yeah. and E and gear acquisition stuff, and then finally he just kind of had to get medically retired, yeah. and then, uh, ended up. Doing a lot, he summited Everest and Denali, and, oh, wow. and a bunch of, like he was trying to do the the seven uh, seven major yeah. major summits and uh, and and had several of them under his belt. And actually, just just over a year ago now, um, it was actually in the news: uh, him and two other guys up in Alaska uh, training for his next summit uh, were killed in an avalanche. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, his name was Matt Nyman, and, and, and uh, just a really really fucking good guy, and, and uh, you know just. Uh, on the one hand it was very heartbreaking that, that uh, he lost his life uh you know as a as a young yeah. man you know, yeah. in his early 40s he's got two two young boys you know on the same token you know that that's just the guy he was and, yeah. and if there's a way for him to um uh, you know to to lose yeah. his life that, that that's the way he would have yeah. wanted to do it frankly you know nope. uh, he, he pushed the envelope all the fucking time and uh you know as much as as it broke my heart to well. to see him pass away at the it just that that's the kind of guy he was and that's what he wanted to do you know
0: yeah. so pretty cool though to think that you guys were young boys and, and you both had dreams re- of, of you know going to special forces and end up doing it so it's pretty cool to- you
1: yeah, know for sure I mean especially from that small of a town and, and, and just being two dipshits that uh, <laughs> threw, threw water balloons at cars and egg houses and teepee trees and you know I mean just did, did dumb shit that kids in the 80s and 90s yeah. did and yeah. uh, you know neither, neither of us were spectacular athletes and and, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty neat to see uh, see both of us go on to do those things. But.
0: So how soon out of high school were you in uh, basic training with the, the Navy?
1: So the, the summer, so I, I graduated at 17. I, I was, uh, you know, one of those kids that was, you know, could have gone either yeah. way. Uh, I, you know, I probably should have been a class behind me age-wise, but... Uh, but just made the cut to to be in the in that grade or whatever so I graduated I had to wait until I was 18 so towards the end of summer when I turned 18 I went to boot camp right after that so I did the delayed entry program and and signed up um you know during my senior year yeah. and then did the stupid weekend drills and all that shit and then um I graduated waited to turn 18 and then and then went uh, right after that so after that I went to, did boot camp which um I would say I probably got in worse shape in boot camp because uh, you know Navy boot camp is not exactly uh, you know the pinnacle of, <laughs> of uh, military it's, physical activity. But <laughs> where where did but, you uh, boot camp at? Where where was that at? Great Lakes. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, so yeah, the Navy's only only at Great Lakes. Oh, now, okay. I thought there was more than one. There used to be just a few years before I I went there. They had Great Lakes. They had uh, one in Florida. And I think in Orlando and then one in San Diego and they, they should can the other two and made uh, boot oh, camp cool. be exclusively at the uh, Great Lakes, uh, Chicago area. So, uh, so I went there. And then from there I went to uh, intelligence specialist, a school. Um, and was in, that in part, Virginia. did you
0: sign in on a contract with that's what you wanted to do too? Or was that just what they told you you were going to do when you were in boot
1: camp so it was it was a little bit of both so you know in when i when i signed up and this changes a lot it's changed yeah. you know before and, yeah. and after but yeah. when i signed up that you know there, there were, what were what were called seal source ratings which uh were jobs in the navy that uh that the seal teams would accept basically because yeah. back then being a seal wasn't considered its own uh source rating yeah and and so uh there was this you know short list of i don't know nine or ten different jobs that that were considered seal source ratings and uh you know Corman was one of them that was actually the first one that i picked but uh when i picked that at the time they had you know more Corman than they needed or or they were at capacity and they said you know this one's closed pick another one and for me you know i was like well intelligence specialist seems uh seems like the next coolest thing thinking it's going to be james bond shit (laughs) Uh, and and it it of course was not not. uh you know but uh so I, i went to intelligence special state school that the neat thing about that was is it was in virginia beach and it was actually on, on the same base that seal team six is at and uh, and back then this was you know they were much less of a, of a household name and, and yeah. nobody i mean a lot of people didn't even know, know what they seal were, before, yeah. let, let alone seal team six guys yeah. and so it was really neat and inspiring to be in that in that uh, area and on that base and seeing these guys running around doing some training. And, and you didn't see them a lot, but you saw glimpses of yeah. them here and there. And, and uh, it was just really cool to see that. And that kind of helped motivate uh, the handful of us that were there that were getting ready to go to, to SEAL training. And so that was about a four-month uh, process. And then I went home on leave for the first time in between graduating A school and going to, uh, to SEAL training. Uh, so I went home for a couple weeks and then I went out to San Diego and and started SEAL training.
0: Okay, so I guess I didn't know that. I, I would I thought you probably would have to be out in the Navy for a while before you got accepted to SEAL training. I didn't know you could you know go from one yeah. school and then get accepted. Was that was that real competitive?
1: Not really. Um, you know, surprisingly, that you know the the screening test and again things are are quite different now. Sure. It's more competitive now, uh, and it's also a completely different pipeline. You know, being a SEAL is its own. Yeah. job it's it's so you know and, and so there there's a pipeline and there's a totally different process so but back then again it was it was kind of i mean i hate to say half-assed but it really kind of was the the screening test which is actually still the, the same screening test today um, is not very reflective of, of the difficulty of training yeah you know it, it's a 500 yard swim uh max sit-ups pull-ups push-ups and then a mile and a half run in boots and pants and, and the times are not not crazy the, you know the, the push-ups are, are 42 the sit-ups are 52 yeah the pull-ups i think are six uh, oh, wow. you know the 500 yard swim is i don't even remember what it is but it's not difficult yeah. um, and and the run is like 11 and a half minutes yeah. or something you know so now granted i will say it is all in a row which yeah. uh it, it looks and mm-hmm. sounds a little easier than it is when you do that oh, I, yeah. all of all of those things back to back to back but but it's still not super difficult um, you know and, if you barely pass that test, uh, you're in for a world of shit when you get to <laughs> SEAL training, uh, you know, and a lot of guys do. You know, there yeah. are a lot of guys that, that barely make that cut and they show up and, and get their shit pushed in and, and quit in a matter of days because it's just it's, way over their head. But but uh,
0: now when you, so, were yeah, in, when you were in Virginia Beach, did you meet any SEALs or did you have any, any input as to, you know, when you get here, be ready with this stuff in mind or did you kind of get yeah, there? Not, not really. Yeah. Yeah, not
1: not really, but all all
0: of us, I mean, it's almost kinda
1: like a, a prison network of yeah. guys who, you know, you'd, you watch videos and and again, remember back then like the internet was not really a thing yeah. yet. I mean, it, it barely was, but there certainly weren't any resources. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. the, the extent to with which any of us knew what we were getting ourselves into were watching like the recruiting video, reading a couple of Vietnam era books yeah. and, and seeing a, a couple of articles, you know. So we're uh, watching the movie Navy SEALs with Charlie Sheen, you know, yeah. so <laughs> Um, but I will say that, you know, we, we ran into a couple of the, of the team six guys, they weren't a ton of help. You know, they're just like, yeah, good luck truck face, you know, yeah. and they're like, well, while they're running by, yeah. uh, you know, they certainly weren't taking, taking us under their wing or anything, yeah. because the reality is, is that that, that training back then from, from when it started and, and even up until as we're sitting here talking about it, the attrition rate is about 80%, you know? So most yeah. guys that show up just aren't going to make it. Yeah. And, uh, and so most guys, I think, in the community, unless it's, like, a friend of a friend or, yeah. you know, family friend or, or, you know, hey, I got a buddy that's going, you know, or what something yeah. like that. Like, very few guys are going to do more than than maybe just spend 30 minutes talking to them on the phone about, hey, do this, this, and this while you're getting ready and kind of here's what you can yeah. expect. Because the reality is most guys that you talk to and give them advice aren't going to make it. Yeah. Uh, and so most guys don't want to waste their time, yeah. to, to be frank. you know. Yeah, so, that makes sense. But I also think that there's an element of part of that process is you got to go go in there a little bit blind or, or I, I think it's better, you know, in terms of selecting the right bias for the job for them to go in, not, not having a uh, terrific understanding of what yeah. they're getting themselves into so that you, you have a more accurate depiction of what that guy really is at his core. And if he's the right guy for the job, because the reality of it is, is that as shitty as SEAL training is, it pales in comparison to what it's like being at a SEAL team and actually doing the job. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, will be more tired, you'll be more cold, you'll be more physically miserable, uh, mentally exhausted, stressed out, uh, at a SEAL team than you, you can ever even dream when you're going through training. Really? Uh, and that, and yeah, and that's hard for guys to, to kind of reconcile when you're going through like, fuck, how does it get any worse than this? But, I think the starkest difference is is that in training, it's training. There's safety yeah. nets, there's yeah. protocols. Yeah. It's actually very, very structured, probably no different than SWAT yeah. selections or, or anything else that, that any of the listeners have, have either been yeah. through or whatever, it's academies or whatever. It's very, very uh, calculated. And, and then when you get to a SEAL team, it's the wild west you know and and there's a lot of times where you're in situations where there isn't a fucking guidebook there isn't a a range safety officer or an instructor that's making sure that you're safe or that you're not in this environment or or that you're out of the water because it's this temperature and you've been in it for this amount of time and you're hypothermic uh you know that there's none of that you know and especially when you go overseas not only is there not that you've got just like, you know, every cop on the street, you've got people that are actively trying to take yeah. their fucking life all the time. You yeah. know? And so, you know, they, they do the best they can to make that training environment for six and a half months as mentally stressful and, and as physically exhausting as possible. But at the end of the day, every, every person going through training knows that it's training. Yeah, you know, it's uh, still dangerous. There's still guys that die. Uh, we we just had uh, you know a guy yeah. guy die in seal training here a couple weeks ago but but it's uh, it's just not the same as, yeah. as the real thing no but, different than police academies sure. and, and going out on real calls
0: is there much attrition once a you know person gets once a guy gets through the training is there much attrition to you know maybe the first deployment or month or two or is the training pretty good at weeding out the guys who mentally aren't ready for that that first deployment yeah so one it's actually once
1: guys make it through hell week which um, and again, it's changed a little bit, you know, a week here or there. But uh, generally speaking, you've got, when you first show up, you've got three weeks of, of in-doc training. And then you've got first phase, which is uh, either seven or eight weeks. I'm not sure what it is right this second. but And Hell Week is usually the, the fourth or fifth week of, of first phase. So in that first, you know, seven or eight weeks of, of in-doc in and the first several weeks of first phase, and that first, we'll say, two months, at ninety nine percent of the guys who aren't going to make it, don't make it during that period. Once guys make it through Hell Week, uh, for somebody to quit after Hell Week is is very, very yeah. rare. Okay, uh, it, it it does happen, but it's it's they're anomalies. They're for sure outliers. There are people uh, or students that uh, that maybe can't can't do it. Uh, they fail, you know, something. Run swims, oh, courses. Yeah. They fail pool comp. They fail certain range activities or, or, uh, you know, demolition exercises or, or things like that in, in third phase. But even that it isn't common, you know, there, yeah. there may be a guy here or there, but so, you know, most of the time, you know, high, high percentage of the, of the candidates that once they make it through hell week that they're in it for the
0: long okay. haul and go all the way. And are the instructors, are they, I mean, imagine at the beginning when, you know, they know that most people are looking at, they're not going to see in a few weeks they probably have one attitude but does, does the attitude with the instructors does it change to where maybe you know you're saying like maybe if a guy's struggling with some of the skills or something like that will they put a little extra effort and try and get that person through or are you just on your own you either you're going to make it or you're not you're not getting any extra attention for anything you need help with i mean is there a point where where they kind of think this guy's pretty good let's give him a little extra help so it, it kind of
1: depends. Uh, I will say, I mean, once guys make it through Hell Week, there there's a, a shift in the way instructors view you, though, as a student that may not be super apparent. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, I will say, I mean, even up until, I mean, 24 hours before we graduated, the instructors were, were whipping our asses, yeah. you know. Yeah. So uh, it, it does. I, I think maybe cascade down a little bit, uh, yeah. but not a lot, you know, and, and the, the biggest factor of, uh, you know, how the, the cadre interacts with you and, and whether or not they're kind of gunning for you or maybe trying to help you out is really based on the individual, you know, the, the guy that has the, the teammate mentality, the, the selfless you know i'm here for the greater yeah. good of the team and i and i don't give a fuck about myself and we'll we'll do everything for everybody else first and you know basically kind of exude all of the traits and qualities that you know that that any yeah. of us would want prospective future teammates to have that's what's going to get you the you know that yeah. maybe the instructor going to bat for you yeah. at a review board or something yeah. like that whereas even if you're you know you've got the, the fastest so course time and the fastest run time and you know one of the quickest swimmers and performance wise you're a total badass but you're a selfish entitled yeah. prick that has a shitty attitude and, and doesn't help his teammates out like you, you're going to get your nuts cut off at, at any opportunity sure. to get rid of you because you know that that's not what makes a good teammate yeah. you know so um you know that the attitude and and the the, the teammate like um characteristics that that um prospective candidates uh or, or candidates not prospective candidates you know what hey, they exude exactly. in, in that way has way more has everything to do frankly with with how much a, a, a cadre member might kind of go to bat for you
0: and did you know that going in or was that something that you just kind of you already you were you uh, were the right mindset already or well i i, I don't know i mean I, I i wouldn't say that i knew
1: that going in i just you know, they're called yeah. the seal teams for a reason. Yeah. And, and I will say, I mean, that does get hammered into you day one. You know I mean? If, if you pay attention, you'll learn that right away yeah. because that, that gets preached to you right out of the gate. Like, Hey, you know, it's the team. Like you better fucking put out and, and you better not, you know, short stroke your teammates and fuck them over. And, and, you know, there's all these like little cliched one liner, mm-hmm. you know, things about, you know, putting out and, and doing certain things and whatever. And, and, uh, and, and they test you too. I mean, as an example, you know, we, we have in first phase. There's those rubber boats. Yeah, they, they weigh about 150 pounds, which you know, if you're holding up by yourself, you know, you're yeah. not going to last that long. But but even with you know seven other uh, boat boat team members or boat crew members yeah. uh, holding it up, you know, over over time, that that thing gets oh, yeah. pretty heavy. And so one of the things the instructors would do. Is that you know that they would say extended arm carry. So, you know, everybody has, has the boat straight above their head with their arms yeah. all the way up. You know, and, and as a boat crew member, you can you can take the, the tension off of your hands but still be touching it. Yeah. Right. So you're not you're not yeah. really supporting any of the weight, but yeah. your hands still touch it, it looks like you yeah. are. Yeah. And and so, you know, instructors would come by with paddles from behind us and, and swat at people's hands. And if they just flew down, oh. well, that means that you're you're not carrying your fucking weight, and you're fucking your teammates yeah. over. You know, so something is you know just that simple. Like yeah. you know, if you're that that dense to where you see that happen and you don't realize, like, hey, the, the name of the <laughs> game here is be yeah. a good team player, then then you shouldn't be there anyway. Yeah. But you know, but so when they 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 do things like that constantly, you know, everything yeah. that you do you know, little tests and and trick fuckery things like that are are built into all of the evolutions that they do that, that make everybody realize like, dude, it's about us. It's the collective, we not me. Um, you know, and and so that, that just gets ingrained from the second you walk in, in that, that place, you know, so it's kind of a combination of a lot of things, but I, I do think there, there probably is an element of some people are, are maybe hardwired that way a little more than others. Sure. And and the people that aren't either learn
0: really, really quick or they go away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Cause then obviously when you're downrange on a real deal, that's a, yeah, it has to be, I'll take that guy over the the guy who can maybe swim a little slower, but I'll take his attitude. I would imagine.
1: Oh, a hundred percent, you know, and, and as a, as an instructor, you know, it was neat to, and not to jump ahead here yeah. but you know having come come back years later after going to seal team three and, and doing multiple deployments going to iraq and you know that, that's a, an episode in and of itself for <laughs> an interview in and of itself but you know coming back as an instructor was was neat because you, you got to see behind the curtain of all of the things that you wondered as a student sure. going through you know and especially as a as a bright-eyed you know corn-fed farm kid almost you know from from yeah. iowa uh, this deer in the headlights, you know, yeah. like wondering a lot of things as a student. Now you get to see, you know, the wizard, uh, you know, yeah. and and there's there's a lot of really cool components to, to seal training. Oh, that, I can imagine, you know, that you get to be a part of now. That uh, you know, that, that's pretty yeah. pretty awesome, you know.
0: So let's let's jump back though. So you get through you get through the training, and then you mentioned you went to Seal Team Three. Is there any significance to which team you go to? I think there's some on the East Coast, some on the West Coast do you have any choice or do they just tell you here's where you're going? And-
1: yeah, you, you get to, uh, to fill out your wish list, uh, your top three choices, basically when, uh, right before you graduate or, you know, maybe a month before you graduate, they do take that into account. Um, and they, they match up your, your choices. If the, the billeting and, and the spots needed allow, if they don't, then you're yeah. shit out of luck. But, uh, so team three was actually my, my third choice, but, but was one of my choices. So, I actually picked two and eight first, which are both East coast teams. Uh-huh. And, uh, just because, you know, most of my instructors were, were East coast guys from those two teams that yeah. spoke highly of them. And, uh, you know, we, we were pretty enamored by our, our cadre. They were just oh, I could imagine I very, know. very inspiring guys. And, and so that's where I, I wanted to go where they went basically. But, uh, but
0: the, yeah. So do the teams by number, I know seal team six obviously has a different assignment or d- does different things. It, it appears, but other than that, do some of the teams do more deployments or do they do different types of deployments or is there any significance to the number? Back,
1: back then there was. Now there is not. Okay. Um, back then, SEAL
0: Team 1
1: was, so 1, 3, and 5 were West Coast teams. Uh, 2, 4, and 8 uh, were East Coast teams. And then Team 6, you had SDV Team 2 that was also at Little Creek, Virginia on the East Coast. And then you had SDV Team 1, which is Pearl Harbor you know and, and that's how it was when i was in now there's team 7 uh, in addition on the west coast uh-huh. and there's seal team 10 on the east coast uh, and then there's there's a, a reserve team seal team 17 uh, which is is the reserve seal unit basically but back then each team had its kind of own area of operations specialty seal team 3 was the desert warfare platoon seal team 1 was jungle warfare seal okay. team 5 was uh, was cold cold weather in in uh, Korea, and then you know, SEAL Team Two was was the East Coast's uh, cold weather. Four was jungle warfare, and eight was strike platoon or, or carrier, yeah. uh, like quick response platoons and stuff. And so it was kind of neat back then, and that you know each team had had a very specific personality and and kind of their area of expertise or specialty. And and now back in the early 2000s they they reordered all of the seal teams and took that away from them basically and made every team basically the exact same uh and so back then it was like each team would have two platoons that were deployed all the time but but there were always you know four other platoons yeah. at every seal team in different parts of training in like 2002 ish time frame is when they, they reorganized everything and now they deployed teams as an entire team and they basically all do this, the exact okay. same thing. So okay. that's kind of a big shift. But
0: And when you got to SEAL Team 3, how many other SEALs were assigned to that team, roughly?
1: Uh, less than 200, about yeah. in, the, in the high 100s, I think about 180 or so.
0: Even though it's a decent number of people, it's probably still a real tight team. It's For not, sure. Not thousands, yeah. was This this was before nine wasn't it?
1: Yeah, so when I checked in the SEAL Team 3 in, uh, in the spring of 98.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this first part of my interview with Mike Ritland. If you listen to the podcast a lot, you know that I try to keep these episodes around 20 or 30 minutes. So with that, I'm going to have to cut this one in half. So you'll get part two of my interview with Mike Ritland in about a week or a week and a half. Best way to make sure you get that uh, right away when you want it is to just subscribe to our podcast on uh, whatever platform you listen to us. Just subscribe to it and it'll pop up new in the feed whatever day we get this uh, all put together and dropped. So as always, I'll remind you that uh, we'll be uh, Hits K9 will be in Orlando in august of this year so it should be our probably our biggest seminar yet i think everybody's ready to get the world back to normal and uh be bigger than the last one we did which uh, has been a couple years because of this COVID crap so we should have probably uh 12 1300 handlers there with us in orlando got plenty of room for everybody lots of uh, vendors great hotel great setup go to hitscanine.net see everything that we're about. You'll see all the different instructors. Mike will be there teaching. So if you want to go to Mike's class or if you want to just beat Mike, if you want to go to his um, booth, you can talk to him about his dog food. You can uh, pick his brain about anything. So he'll be around along with uh, lots of other great knowledgeable instructors so should be a great event lots of networking opportunities and uh, lots of learning to go on so check out hitsk and as always if you want to contact me my email is jeff at hitscanine.net. i like the emails and i like all the feedback so please uh, keep that feedback coming try to get back to everybody uh, i'll try to get back to you as soon as possible send me any show suggestions or any questions you have and i'll run them here on the show thanks again everybody i appreciate your time